sorry, this ends already a blooper, but um, the... <laughs> Hey, welcome to Marginally, a podcast about writing, work, and friendship. I'm Olivia, a corporate fraud investigator living in London with my husband and two cats. I'm currently working on a novel and daydreaming about lots of other projects. And I'm Megan, a librarian and freelance indexer writing about complex women's friendships for both young adult and adult audiences. In today's episode, we talk to Katerzyna Tuchkova, who we refer to as Katka in the episode. She is a Czech author, playwright, publicist, art historian, and curator of exhibitions. She has won several literary awards, including the Magnesia Litera Award and the Czech Bestseller Award. In 2017, she was awarded the Freedom, Democracy, and Human Rights Award by the Institute for the Study of Totalitarian Regimes. She has also received the Premio Libro de Europa at the book fair in Salerno, Italy, and apologies to any actual Italian speakers for my pronunciation. Her books have been translated into 20 languages. We approached Katka to talk about her book, The Last Goddess, because of the way that its form, composed of research documents as well as narrative, contributes not only to the dramatic structure, but also to the meaning of the novel. We talk in particular about the way that these authoritarian systems treated the goddesses as if they were dangerous. And she also wanted to center the struggle of these individual women against those authoritarian systems. In the conversation, we talk about her research process, her writing process, of course. And we also discuss how the book has been received differently in different countries. We hope that you enjoy the conversation as much as we did. Katka, we're so excited to have you on our podcast. Thank you very much for joining. I think if you could just start by introducing a little bit of your writing career and your writing routine so that we can understand a bit about your background and and we'll go from there. At first, thank you very much for inviting me. It's a really pleasure to be here. And uh, my writing routine... Okay, um, so my writing routine has changed a lot over uh, years. I started to write, or my first uh, tries um, were when I was uh, over 20. And in that time, I studied uh, in a university, and I have uh, accept my studies and um, not uh, uh, quite responsible part-time work a lot of free time. So I wrote um, sometimes a day, then I went to the school, to the university, and another day I had again the same uh, the free time for writing. So I was quite free to focus on the first novel. And um, that's why maybe it was um, quite good prepared for, for publishing. Uh, and I had not such problems with publishing the book. They helped me a lot to edit it in my publishing house, but it took me more than three, four years to write it and it was prepared. But then when I uh, had a responsibility to, uh, or I had to go work and I even I had a flexible job, like uh, I was a curator of art exhibition and then I organized a multicultural festival and uh, made such a quite freelance work, then it was worse with the free time uh, which I had to give for the writing. So the second and third book, it was much more complicated to write it for me because of I like the time. But (laughs) the worst time came and uh, it happened uh, after I uh, had my second child. 
which is fantastic. I love my children very much, but with the time, it's uh, quite quite demanding and challenging now. So I I write um, overnights and over evenings and overnights, and I finished my latest novel um, when Aranka, my daughter, was three months old, and uh, it was. It was hard time, but it worked with the with the novel, which was almost with by the end. But uh, now, when I'm starting my fifth uh, novel, it's it's quite demanding uh, because I have not uh, five or six hour in one um, uh, in, in one in one time together, uh, and and this this is um, necessary for me for concentration, of course. And this one I like now, so I do only research for my new book and I try to write over the nights, but not very successfully now. Do you tend to write every day or maybe just like when your kids are in school or in care or I guess they're quite small, but yeah, do you have sort of seasons that you write more or do you try to just do what you can every day? So my uh, kids are three and a half and one and a half, and uh, the 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 older the son uh, attends the um, kindergarten, but he's like it is in this age he's uh, very often sick, so uh, they are most of the time at home. So I write when they sleep, and uh, over the day, and then uh, over the night, and uh, I have a routine. Of course, I have to be in touch with the topic on which I'm working now every day, at least an hour or uh, at least a small time because um, uh, it's necessary for me to become a relationship with the characters to get know the um, circumstances of the plot of the story. And uh, also I travel sometimes to the place when the where the book is set on and to get to know the environment. So I try to be in touch quite often. I just wanted to, so it will get easier as they get older. Okay, thank I you. remember <laughs> mine are 10 and 13 now, so it's mm-hmm. a big difference, but oh, it's so hard and you're doing, mm-hmm. it's so hard. So it's amazing that you're getting as much thank work you. done I as you. That it won't be easy, but uh, the, the reality, Surprised me a bit. Yeah, <laughs> in and autumns, autumns are terrible. That, that oh. every second week some illness. That's horrible. Yes, 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 definitely. And they're at an age where they change so quickly. So you mm-hmm. get used to a certain way, and then it changes, and you have to readjust and get used to a new way. So, yeah, it's so hard. Uh, what other responsibilities do you have? Do you have a day job or other external commitments? So I'm reading your book, Goethe, right now. And it's interesting to know you have a background in art because that is part of Goethe's education and, and interests at the beginning of the novel, too. So um, it's clear your your day job not just fits in and balances along your other responsibilities, but it informs your writing as well. So I, I studied um, history of art and uh, Czech language and literature at the university. And uh, later I started to work, work as a curator of art exhibition, which was fantastic. I like it uh, very much because I was in touch with uh, artists uh, who are 
interesting individuals individuality so they enriched my uh, life really much with their opinions and the way how they see the life and um, and, and politics and society everything this this job was quite flexible so i i had a time to write um, as well but um, i have to finish with my job um, four years ago because uh, until that time I always uh, work on exhibition and more exhibition. Then I started to organize a multicultural festival in my hometown, Brno, and I always uh, accepted more and more work. And uh, at the same time, I had also to make a research for the new book and uh, visit uh, some festivals or libraries or universities who invited me for reading. At that time, my book was already translated into 20 languages, so it was quite a lot of traveling connected with the presentation of the book. So I had to um, stop because I also wanted to have children in my 38, 39. It was the the highest time to decide. So I stopped uh, at the time everything uh, except writing. And I went through the uh, process of uh, in vitro fertilization. So it was quite demanding also psychically. And uh, so since then time, it was successful. So I have now two kids and I have time only uh, for writing, research and writing. I tell only, but still it's a... it's a full full time job <laughs> so but i miss a bit uh, no nah, i miss a lot the time when i was uh, in touch with artists and i i i organized the exhibition it was really dream job uh, writing is also a dream job but um no was i was amongst the people and was very active and writing it's quite alone work so i i feel alone with writing even the characters are fine there are my friends after some some while but still it's um... yeah i think we talk a lot on our podcast about different things that you get from <laughs> your day job like not just money obviously but also you know interaction and some sense of achievement that isn't just relying on you and all of that so that makes i mean especially the difference between a social you know exhibition where you're dealing with a lot of people to writing which is basically alone most of the time it's pretty different um so yeah that makes sense so we really loved and your book the last goddess i know you've had a lot of different books some of them have been translated some haven't um and megan is reading gerta right now but the last goddess i was particularly interested in because i was looking at writing a book that it, it relied only on documents and so i really loved your example because it really comes to life through the documents and we'll talk about that in a minute but i was just wondering if you could tell us what inspired you to write the last goddess so i think that uh, at the beginning was uh, my need to go back to my roots uh, i come from south moravia which is uh, known in my country like very traditional region where people are close to folklore and, and nature and uh, after my parents uh, divorced uh, i went with my mother to the town and then for my studies to the city and i lost the contact with this region so i don't know 15 years ago i had a really deep feeling that i need to go 
closer to my roots and I started to visit this part of Moravia, this region. And I started to see there some, some, some stories. One was especially interesting for me and it started with the saying which told someone in the I guess in, in some pub when, when I said and uh, he told me you lie as a goddess and I didn't know what he exactly means uh, with this saying and then I started to ask uh, who was the goddess or why lying and I discovered that this is a part of anti-propaganda which was which was uh, led against the goddesses who were even they were the village woman who seemed to be not very dangerous but they were dangerous to the previous regime communist regime and it was the part of anti-propaganda which they the, the people from the communist party who they uh, led against the goddesses because they didn't they wanted to get rid of them and to stop their um, healing and and uh, things which they, they which they did and uh, it was super interesting for me because uh, such a story of village women who for generations helped to the people in the region and then uh, they were problem for all the authoritarian system which uh, was um, uh, across the centuries like i mean catholic church or nazi regime and then finally communist uh, regime who destroyed them it was super interesting for me. So I started to make some research about them and there was not many to find out about them. So it was quite long research and finally it went into the, the, the whole novel. I love that story of how you got interested in the book. That's really cool. So the novel is, as Livia said, you work with several different forms. There are documents and reports of different types. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you came up with the idea for doing that? Hmm. So to use some documents and reports, um, it, uh, it it was very natural for me. Because as I told, I, I made a lot of research for to, to discover the story of the goddesses. I talked to the people from the region and I explored the Carpathian landscape I, and I also visited archives in this region because I uh, expected that there will be some some material, some documents about them and it were, for example, from uh, uh, trials in court uh, they were suited for making black messes even the most of the goddesses was uh, helped to the people and they made something which is possible to call it like white magic but still amongst the goddesses were also women who cast curses and uh, made some people ill and also i found documents about the process when they were suited one of the goddesses was suited because she caused someone's death and it was perfect material for uh, me and um then later, when I was writing, I couldn't imagine uh, telling the story without such a documents. So they deeply imprinted on me. And uh, I think that uh, because of the research, it was also the part of the story. And I, I, I had a feeling that it would be also good for a reader because a reader can see uh, other aspects of the story through these documents, like, for example, to see the situation from multiple perspectives, then one narrator wouldn't be able to bring 
or from reports and documents, uh, they can also understand the strategy of the communist regime or to understand how the system may have served to the goals of uh, high-ranking individuals. But uh, in these records and documents, it's also possible to discover the personality of the writer. So I found the use of such quasi-authentic documents because the documents in the book are not uh, real. It's, I, I, I had to write them to uh, fit to the story. So I thought that such documents are also useful complement to traditional storytelling. And I, I, I enjoyed the reading of them and then the writing of the quasi-authentic documents also. So, so I think that it belonged to the story. I, yeah, I really love that. I also love what you say about the different perspectives that you gain from having those documents. Like, you know, you can bring in, yeah, people who are kind of outside the story a little bit and, and it just places the story within society a lot more than, you know, contemporary fiction often has maybe one, uh, maybe two um, narrators. And and I think that this sort of the way that you've structured it uh, does really place the whole entire book into society, like you you said. How else, or if you want to expand on that, do you think that these types of document documents contribute to the mean the meaning of the book? Like, um, because it's not just, and this is a little esoteric sort of question, but I I think it's important that it's not just about structure or maybe about something like that, but also about what does the entire book kind of mean in -hmm. literature or in any, in socially or something else? So I think that the documents um, are good for the, uh, good for the book because they also can uh, serve as a, stylistically uh, to um, to show another storyline uh, the the reports which were are wrote by let's say nazi commando uh, the, the, it was the commando which belonged to the group of Annenerbe, which was found out by heinrich himmler and their main goal was to uh, discover the old relics of german religion so uh, the language of this commando is uh, totally different. How they wrote the records about the goddesses, it's, it's totally refer- different from the records uh, which was written by the com- communist uh, secret service agents who wasn't much clever. Unfortunately, the regime used the people who were available and willing to serve the the regime, but they wasn't educated and clever. So their language uh, is uh, very interesting in their uh, primitivity and coldness with which they see the objects, which were the codices, and how they described it. In the comparison with the Nazi researchers who were highly educated, university educated. They were historians and philosophers, and they, they was also one writer in the commando. Their language was much more uh, rich, and the records are also written in better language. So the different types of the documents uh, also enables me to work with uh, stylistically with the different storylines. So. I, I I guess that they were necessary to add them into the into the just clear and straightforward uh, storytelling. Yeah, 
this is a long question and but I was recently listening to a podcast about the Bohemian forgery um which I think is very interesting as a historical topic but I think and I think one of the main themes is sort of this idea of the creation of different nationalisms in Europe and I think it um relates partly to what you were just saying about why and how um people get enlisted in these projects so with the Nazis uh, you're a researcher as an academic, you know, they're much more sophisticated, but it's also partly because they were enlisted in creating this concept of um, this, like the the Nazi project. And then later, um, there's a different project of creating an Indo-European project. My point, I guess my question is sort of about how your book uses these different competing ideas. And you have touched on this, but how do you create, like how these different ideas are creating effectively different countries, different, you know, conceptions of what a country is um, and how they, you know, in the past, these different types of records relate to these types of nationalisms that are created. And obviously, on one level, you know, that process is still continuing with different countries, um, you know, the breakup of Czechoslovakia into two different countries or, you know, the way that people are defining who they are as a society Mm -hmm. over time. So it's not really a question, um, but I know that you have some knowledge and and maybe comments on the Bohemian forgery, but also just on this topic of nationalisms and how we how we use literature and documents to create our idea of who we are. That's a really interesting and quite complicated question. So maybe I will uh, start, or I will return a bit uh, into the past and tell at first something about the Central European uh, space or uh, rather about the Czech lands where I live, the Czechia. I mean uh, that for understanding um, it is also necessary to explain the the beginnings of the Czech-German conflict uh, which started uh, really long ago on on the turn of 5th and 6th century and this was the time when Slavs came uh, into uh, this land, or today's Czechia, and it was during the migration of people, and they uh, pushed the Germanic tribes out of the Czech lands to west and south. But since then, there was, of course, some um, struggle against these uh, tribes, and uh, they led wars, uh, wars against each other, and finally uh, in it uh, they came together through marriage policy and Czech became a part of the Austria uh, monarchy which is previous German stripes who live south uh, from today's Czechia and um, Czechs were the part of the Austro Austrian Empire later Austro-Hungarian uh, monarchy and uh, they wasn't there. They wasn't satisfied. They felt that they are treated uh, without respect. They were perceived um, quite inferior, and this resulted in outburst of nationalism, of course, and um, uh, and also into the desire to break free from Austrian monarchy domination, and uh, also in a dream for state sovereignty. 
And part of the situation was also the fake uh, manuscripts, uh, which uh, you mentioned. Um, uh, it was written by historian Hanka and writer Linda, which were supposed to prove these manuscripts, the old tradition of Czech culture, and to justify the claim for national and territorial independence. So for our nation, it was uh, very important and in the time when people in the beginning of 19th century, when people believe that it's uh, real, it uh, very much helped to think about Czechs, like about the nation, which which old tradition and all, all I mean, old written cultural tradition. But uh, unfortunately, in the end of 19th century, it was uh, a big uh, discussion about the manuscripts and they were considered as fakes or it was clear that it was uh, the fake. However, until now, it's a, it's some it, it's a very important story for for Czech Republic, and uh, the the German researcher researchers who dealt with goddesses in the Nazi time, they had a very very similar uh, goal. Their uh, primary task uh, was to find uh, relics of pre-Christian old Germanic culture, and the goddesses clearly fulfilled the no the notion of old Germanic priestesses. And this uh, fact uh, would serve them because the goddesses were located in uh, in, in Moravia region, which is part of uh, Czechia. So, and this uh, fact would serve them as an argument that they were in law with occupation of our territory during World War II. It, it would it would justify the the uh, invasion, the occupation, because as they um, wanted, I think would serve for the statement that it, they simply took what was theirs, which means that they took the original Germanic territory, territories to Czech land. So this is some conflict, which um, Czech-German conflict, which is, which is uh, or was a lot of centuries amongst these two nations living uh, next to each other in Central Europe. But uh, for me, this dispute over who owns the territory or, 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 or this was um, not the most important, important thing for me. That uh, was just an interesting circum circumstance. Uh, what fascinated me most about this dispute was how the phenomenon of simple, often uneducated female healers or or shamans or wise wise women, how we call the goddesses, how this phen phenomenon suddenly became a political issue, how authoritarian systems, uh, whether it was the Catholic Church or Nazi Germany or communist Czechoslovakia, needed to will, deal uh, with, uh, with with them as with the danger. And uh, what interested me about it was the struggle of single women against the many-headed hydra of political power, which unfortunately for the goddesses ended in their destruction. But that was the reason I wrote this book, so that the ruthless political evil wouldn't have the last word, so that the legacy of the goddesses would be preserved at least in the form of a novel. Yeah, I love that. And I was thinking that while you were talking about this sort of these, the way we tell history or the way we talk about whatever big ideas like nationalism always destroys these cultural cultural practices. 
Um, a lot of those cultural practices are kept alive by women. And it's just very, that's what I think is, I mean, your book is very beautiful in the way that it always has the women's story as the central story. And all this other stuff is basically part of a big thread that she's unraveling, that your main character is kind of pulling at and unraveling like some really big story about the women and all of this other stuff is external problems that the women faced over time. And that's what I really appreciate about, about that. Yeah. I think I do love how part of your story is how different documents can be used by different, you know, the same thing can be used by different people for different ends. And so I was actually just sharing this with Olivia yesterday. So one of the things about Victorian Gothic fiction is using different documents to tell uh, a story, like just how you did the journal entries and letters and things. But the way it's used is to make, by using different voices, it gives both some narrative distance between the reader and the story. So when you're reading a document, you're experiencing an event in your mind in a different way than when you're reading a story that's being told as if you are the person experiencing the events. So it imposes some distance, but it also allows the reader to put the story together their own way when you have the documents. So you can, the reader then can use them to create a story that is the same as all of your historical characters creating stories out of these same documents. But so how does that, did that play into your choice, um, that that sort of distance in a way um, between the reader and the experience and that potential for unreliability and questions of truth? Well, yes, what I really wanted uh, in the beginning uh, was that I wanted to make the story so much living that people would know that the the the, the story of goddesses was real even it wasn't 100% like it is written in the novel still it is based on the true stories which happened to the different uh, goddesses uh, in the book, it's uh, connected into one, into one, um, one, one fate of goddess Surmena or goddess Irma Gabrhelova. Uh, but I really wanted um, the reader understood that it it comes from reality. Also, that's why there are the documents and records. Even it is uh, it is. Um, later written documents or quasi documents which i uh, wrote because of the uh, uh, in, in the way that they had to fit into the story so it's not a real document but it's rewritten document documents so and for me it was somehow important uh, to have the story set somewhere between non-fiction and the novel and uh, yeah it caused questions sometimes or in almost every second uh, reading uh, readers asked me uh, what is the true and what is the fiction 
and um, often I I spoke about the concrete fates of the goddesses uh, uh, which were killed during the witch trials in 17th century, who are also in the book, but a bit, in a bit different um, story than uh, the reality was. The same is with the Nazi commando who made a research about the goddesses or the secret service uh, agency who followed the goddesses over the communist time so i uh, make it uh, clear usually in the readings what is real what is uh, my uh, imagination uh, and um, uh, and uh, i don't know percentage of the fiction and uh, and the uh, real historical events then i um, in my way of writing or in my attitude it's uh, one criterion which which is very important to me. Even I wanted the reader would understand that it's based on real, real historical events. Still, the priority is to write a novel. So everything what is uh, taken from the reality serves to the structure of the book, uh, of the novel, because I wanted uh, the reader enjoyed it uh, as, as a one complete story. And I wouldn't, uh, I, I wanted um, him or her to be in some tension, uh, how the plot will develop. And so this is the first criterion for me to write a novel even it is based on the real reality. Yeah, I yeah, love what you said about that truth actually and that I kept wanting when I was reading it I kept wanting to google like are these real people and I didn't because it's not really how I approach fiction but it had that sense that what you were talking about was true even if maybe the exact events did or didn't happen I haven't researched it myself and I also really felt that this is a person who like actually went to the archives. Um, there was something about the way that is written that, you know, your research process goes through, not in a boring way, like in a good way, um, where you just feel that you as the author are very much in control of the information that you're providing um, to the reader and when you provide that information and how you provide that information. So as a reader, I feel that that worked. One of the, as you were speaking, I think one of the things that's really interesting to me is the way that you have, I can't even articulate it. And maybe Megan, I don't even know if you agree because we haven't discussed this, but there's like a big question of the novel, but actually the novel takes you through so many small questions like the, you're sort of the character is researching and we are also researching and we are also deciding as the readers what we think the next question is and, and in a way you sort of lose the initial question, but it not again in, in a good way, like the way that you, when you start to look at your ancestry, like I've looked at who my ancestors are or something, you immediately get lost because there's just so much. Um, and, and it's also because the core question is like, who am I? What happened to me? Like, how did I get here? I think are the questions that people are asking when they're asking about like the type of question that your character is asking and how do we, make peace with all of the authoritarian regimes that have wiped out our culture. What do we do with any of that? And I love that your book is, doesn't really give an answer, but it gives a process for asking the question. Does that make sense? That's mm -hmm. just a comment. I don't have a question, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but I really like that, you know? 
Because there's not an answer to that. Like, what do we do about the fact that the goddesses have been destroyed? Like, it just, it, it exists, right? And it's part of the world that we live in. And a lot of things have been destroyed, obviously. Yeah, but that, that, that's wonderful if uh, the novel gives the, such a question or, or uh, I, I, I like the word which uh, helps to the reader to give himself or herself such a question for their own identity or, or possible research of their ancestor. That, that, that sounds great. Thank you. And uh, I, mm, I also discovered a lot about myself and about my family members who I remember and, and older who I don't remember and who I lost uh, when my parents uh, divorced. And I now can also, after the whole, what I get known during the process of writing the goddesses, even the tale of goddesses uh, wasn't um, connected with my family, but still I visited the same region and I met people who knew something about my family which was the farmers, uh, old farmer farmers in the south of Moravia, and their their farm was confiscated by the communist regime later. And then I could understand why this part of my family, for example, destroyed itself. My father was an alcoholic and quite violent man because he had no sense for to live. The property, the farm of the family was the, was. Um, uh, confiscated by communist regime and uh, they uh, wasn't returned it uh, back uh, so his life has no sense and i discovered this why this why by the way uh, during the research uh, about goddesses so for me it was very enriching part of my life uh, the writings of something and then getting slowly no pieces bits and pieces from my family history so great if this one is uh i'm really happy if this one is a bit felt from the story and um, that the reader have some feeling that uh, he can also go through the history back to the roots of their own families yeah i think that felt um, i mean it is authentic uh but it felt very authentic to me i've spent a lot of time in eastern europe and especially in ukraine and a lot of people once you get people drunk, they start to tell you all of their different family histories and like different things that happened to them, especially under the Soviet regime, because it was so recent um, and how, whether they collaborated or whether they were victims and um, how that informs their sense of who they are. I think it's really important recent history that still is probably not talked about, at least in English literature enough, probably. Um, Megan, over to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there definitely is a sense that, you know, that you ask at the beginning, who am I? And then it becomes who was this person? And then who was this person? And the focus gets away from yourself. And then at the end, you have to come back around and say, okay, well, what does that mean for who I am? Um, and I think that was, and so I'm a librarian and have worked in historical archives and things. And so I also really appreciated that part because like Olivia said, it was felt very authentic and accurate to the reality of those institutions. So um, just that, those are just comments. But so the question is, and I'm asking this partly out of self-interest because I'm working on a historical project myself. And so I guess my question is, how did you, like, 
your what is your was your research pro- process like and how you took notes and then how you I'm just kind of squashing these three questions together because they are all similar. How did you, what was your research project like? Like, how did you take notes? And then how did you balance? You've spoken about how you rewrote documents to make quasi historical documents um, as a way of fitting them within the narrative and how the novel came first the fiction that you were right, the story you were telling was more important um, Mm -hmm. or not more important, but that was your first priority. And then you fit things inside it. Um, But how did you balance when you have things that are, you know, historical facts as much as we can say facts. um, And then you're wanting to tell a story. How did you balance like fidelity to the history but also faithfulness to your story itself. So that's really two questions that mm-hmm. having to do with mm-hmm. like your research process and then how you put it all together to make a, a novel mm-hmm. and not nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah, I, um, it took for, I don't know, maybe two years uh, where two years of period where I, when I um, traveled to the, Carpathian landscape to some archives to speak with local people. So this kind of research took almost two years. Uh, but during these two years, just slowly, the structure of the book somehow emerged gradually. The, in, in the whole, I, w- I wrote it three, maybe four years altogether. But after the second year, I, I thought that I have uh, enough of the material to start to write. And it's true that at first came to me the chapters uh, which are narrated, like just clear, straightforward narrating, which is quite emotional or which I felt that they are quite dramatic and full of emotions. So they were the first, like like a prologue, for example, which I wrote, like the absolutely first uh, chapter was, I, I wrote prologue, uh, which, where is the situation, how the father um, killed the mother of the of the main character dora and uh, it it, it came uh, to me in the carpathian region where uh, let's say the the percentage of alcoholists alcohol abusers it's higher than in the um, normal population of uh, czechoslovak of czechia and um, uh, also it was a problem in my family so i connected these uh, things which i uh, found out in the carpathian region uh, white carpathian region and in my family and it was the first chapter chapter which uh, came to me and and then came the chapters which were um which were interesting for me because uh, i found out something very unusual in the regional traditions, like is, for example, singer of uh, of, of dead who sings over the dead body to the uh, fam- to the family or and friends who gathered around the dead body, and the singer has um, has a task to tell to the family and friends something what the dead person had not time to tell which means that the singer of the dead uh, ex- uh, tells the excuses for the family members or friends who were in 
argument or in in the dead person or something like that, or the the dead uh, singer of that assured the family members about the love of the dead person and so and it's quite unusual figure such a singer of that. So it was also one of the first uh, chapters which came to me because it was very full of emotions and dramatic drama for me. So these um, chapters uh, came at first, and then I uh, I, I knew that uh, we, that, that the, the perspective of one character of Dora, who was a niece of the last uh, goddess and can remember what she did and can also study the the phenomenon of the goddesses in her later university studies. Uh, that she is not able to narrate everything uh, what is connected with goddesses. So then I started to add into the um, story also the letters, reports, studies, and um, such a piece of real documents, which I rewrite according what I needed to uh, give into the story. So I was just inspired by the language, uh, let's say, Nazi researchers, researchers or uh, communist uh, secret service agents. So I was inspired by the language, and then I wrote the documents which um, uh, which uh, uh, enables to push the story forward. And uh, finally, I think that the structure of the book uh, was pieced together from different for such a different forms, like a jigsaw puzzle. So very slowly, it, it came all together, and finally. It was done. Did you write very many, like how many drafts did you write in drafts or did you, I mean, you said you pieced it together slowly, but I mean, did you have like one draft and then you thought I'm missing some letters, I'll add them in or yeah, just any, how many drafts? In the case of The Last Goddess, it was the first draft. So I had a lot of uh, material and, and the written text, which I didn't use finally. So there is hundreds of pages, which I... Uh, wrote without use, but still it was the first uh, attempt uh, which was finally successful. But I have uh, the horrible case of my last novel, which is not translated into English. Uh, the name is uh, Bila Voda, White Water, uh, and it's focused on the persecution of um, female Catholic orders during the communist time, which was, it, it, it's a very dramatic and tragic chapter how the communist regime wanted also get rid of the religion, Catholic Church, especially the women who imprisoned, imprisoned in, uh, in jails and internalization camps. And this book I wrote for 10 years and three versions wasn't uh, good enough to to publish so the last one was uh, was final and over these 10 years I was like uh, went crazy because I, I felt that maybe I choose the topic which is bigger than me and that, that I have not so much experience and literature tail talent to fade with the thousands of pages of material and, and to rework them into one uh, story, fictional story. And uh, I felt li really weak over these years. But finally, oof, <laughs> I managed it, but it was a real struggle. Well, congratulations. <laughs> I mean, Thank that you. sounds very intense, but I think Megan can relate. She has a project like that right now. Yeah, <laughs> I have 
800 pages of just notes. So wow. we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Letters and things. So it's, I'm very interested um, in how you approach, you know, reading your, your novels, um, how you approach, you know, it's been really great to read them and see how you've approached synthesizing and putting together all of that information into something that is a story. So you do such a good job. So I was, have have read about um, your last novel and was really hoping one day it'll be translated into English. So thank you very much. I, I am I'm a bit afraid because after these 10 years and three lost versions, uh, it's a book which uh, is complete final. I'm, I'm very satisfied with the result, but it has 750 pages, which mm. is translation even a bit longer. And uh, which means it's also expensive for a publisher. So I, I'm really glad that I get rid of this topic that it's done, <laughs> that it exists as a book. But the translation, it's another chapter. Yeah, I'll have to learn Czech then. So. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's quite hard. that will be a lifetime. I don't want you feel bad, but it's really hard language. Yeah. <laughs> One of my last questions is, what is the reception of your book um, in other in different countries? So you said, uh, is it the last goddess that's been translated into 20 languages? Yeah. So what is the how have different readers in different countries? What what different reactions have you gotten? I'm really interested in that. So uh, the last goddess is translated uh, into 22 languages now. And uh, to travel with uh, with this book to some foreign festivals or to some readings to another country was very rewarding for me and also very surprising so i can uh, i can tell that uh, in in the post totalitarian countries like is like are in eastern europe they uh, very understand uh, my intention they understood the struggle of uh, of of um, goddesses uh, with political power and they had the similar questions like are asked in the reading in Czech Republic, for example. But um, the farther south, uh, the more emancipated patriarchy subtext of the book resonated amongst the readers. I mean, uh, that the power of these women, the goddesses, and their resilience was uh, very inspirational. I could see that, uh, for example, in Italy, which is quite a patriarchal society until now and the women who were there they appreciated very much the 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 the, the power of these women to to fight with the uh, with the with the all the kinds of power and they also uh, had a question for the, some more esoteric uh, esoteric um, issues uh, related with the book but the um, the inspiration of the struggle was for them uh, a bit different than for people or, or readers in post-totalitarian countries. And the, the the most surprising, let's say, for me was the um, presenting the book in Cairo, in, in, in Egypt, in some literature festival. And uh, even the discussion couldn't be there very... Uh, let's say open but somehow it was it was open because it uh, it um, it 
it changed into the debate about women's freedom, which is, of course, absolutely trivial in Arabic countries. But because this festival was connected also with the uh, with the reading in university, so in university was uh, a bit um, more free atmosphere. So the discussion really went into the women's freedom issues. And there I saw with my own eyes how such a unknown Czech village women as goddesses could spark a fire even among women on the other side of the world. And uh, this one was really great experience. And I, I until now, I'm um, really enriched by the stories about the life of Egyptian women, which they shared uh, amongst uh, each other in the audience. And it was really big experience for me. Yeah, I like that universal story. And also, so is it more that I'm interested in the post-totalitarian countries of Eastern Europe or with similar experience, they identify more with the contest with the government or this sort of state and personal conflict, whereas the more universal um, outside of that region is more about women's struggle against patriarchy and and against these sort of structures that always oppress women yeah mm -hmm. yeah Definitely. interesting mm -hmm. do you want to talk about anything about what you're working on now or no it's up to you <laughs> well now I'm working but as I told with such a small kids it's a uh, just hour or two per day or sometimes uh, when I have a uh, my my mother who helps me with children here. I can um, go out for some research, but my uh, my my tempo is quite slow. But I make a research. Not I I don't write yet, but I make a research about another forbidden or forgotten forgotten uh, story from uh, Czech history, and it's it's um, sterilization of uh, Roma women who were sterilized during the stikat because the government thought that they have much children than they uh, should have had. And this is the chapter which is connected with, with the blatant racism in Czech society, which is still visible here. And uh, I hate that, um, they, that, that feelings. And the sterilization of Roma people, it's no one cares about it. And I think that we should care about such um, stories. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a, it is a topic that I think not enough people discuss, definitely. Um, so I agree with with you on that. When you're talking about that and talking about the kind of universal struggle um, and the, what appeals to your readers in different countries, just how many parallels there are, um, to things in the United States, except the myth of the US around the world is different from the reality. And, you know, we have historical, historical periods of forced sterilization of, um, you know, black women. And we have the history of, you know, boarding schools for indigenous people to wipe out their heritage and, 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 and destroy their culture and their their own histories. Um, we have the struggle of the individual against the state and a history of periods of what we wouldn't call on the international stage authoritarianism, but was absolutely authoritarianism. So I just think it's really, it's really fascinating. And I think, 
you know, your stories really resonate um, beyond just like they resonate at so many different human levels um, everywhere. So thank you. And I know about the um, cases which happen in Canada, for example, or in north of Europe, but I'm now uh, in the research about how how this topic um, went into the literature, into the fiction. So if you have some tips for me for the books which uh, are focused on this topic i will be very thankful to you because maybe it's not uh, much translated into czech and i'm able to read english but maybe i don't know about such a book so if you will um, came across some yeah i'll look well i will be really thankful if you advise me thank yeah you. sure that's i mean it's something that's coming out I think more slowly and probably more nonfiction um, mm -hmm. in, in, in the United States now, but there's, it's definitely out there. So I'll, I'll take a look and send an email. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank and you. we can ask in our newsletter as well. Yeah. Um, Cause some, we have a few people in particular that, I mean, we know them, but they're very good readers and they always have, every time we ask for recommendations of a certain type, they always give recommendations. So hopefully they will be able to direct some, some, some books on this topic. Definitely. Thank you. It would be really nice from you. Thank you. I think it's interesting because maybe because it's quite an emotional topic, I think forced sterilization in a way, or maybe because it has been done more to women, although not only, uh, it doesn't have the same profile. Like people don't, it sort of doesn't have as much public publicity and like attention to it. I'm probably not going to include any of this in our, <laughs> or no, maybe I, I will. Right. Yeah. But it doesn't like, it doesn't get the same attention for whatever reason. Um, and so I think it's an important topic because it's something that a lot of different governments have done and it's something that can be done sort of secretly and it's not, uh, you know, it happens in a hospital or it happens in a pri private facility and you don't know, is it just you or is it someone else? And you have to share something really personal about yourself in order to find a community of other people. And that's difficult, actually. So, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. I, I think I'm going to think about your answers for a long time and I still think about your book all the time, actually. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Me too. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. And that's it for this week. You can find us online at marginallypodcast.com and on Instagram at marginallypodcast. Our email is podcast at marginallypodcast.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to our newsletter. The sign-up form is on our website. And if you enjoy the show, please consider rating it and leaving a review in your podcast app and or sharing an episode with a friend. This will help us to grow our community. Thanks for listening and happy writing. Marginally is produced by the two of us, Megan and Olivia. So excuse any amateur issues. We're working on it. Theme music is It's Time by Skarika Rikaska. Show notes for every episode are available at marginallypodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Sorry, I went off script a little bit with that, but...